You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, please. 1 Thessalonians 4. Last week, uh, we started a series that is going to go well into... Uh, the new year, and I entitled the series, Fighting for Purity in an Impure World. Fighting for Purity in an Impure World. And we, we started heavy, didn't we? And, uh, and I, don't, I don't apologize for that. I was coming right off of a study sabbatical, and we were just, we were ready Uh, ready to go. And I said last week, I'm just going to make a few statements from uh, last week and we'll get to uh, new new material here, is that it's no surprise that the world thinks that the biblical view of sexuality that is completely outdated. And they want us to come up, you know, they want us to become more modern, to become more uh, accepting uh, of just the sexual revolution that uh, really kind of began uh, in our country in the 60s and 70s and uh, then it can, it continued into the 80s. And of course, uh, we have what we uh, are experiencing today. And uh, when Paul gives the instructions here to the church at Thessalonica, which we're going to look at here in a moment, you've got to understand that just the biblical landscape and the culture in which he was speaking into this church would have been one like this, know ye not that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And we know that, praise God, that that nature doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. We're thankful that we stand in uh, the righteousness of of God, but there's all sorts of sexual sin uh, that is mentioned there. You know, even some kind of old, old English way of even ref, um, referring to these, like the effeminate here, would kind of even be like a male prostitute uh, or abusers of themselves with mankind. That would be, you know, what we would call homosexuality today. Would be uh, in even the biblical time. And here's what Paul said: and such were some of you. He's writing to the church of Corinth. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so as I said last week, welcome to the first church of Corinth. And full of people where most of them would have had a deviant, you know, sexual, sinful lifestyle prior to coming to Christ and prior to becoming you know, part of this church. And so it was a culture where it was dominated by sexual deviance. And it was not discreet. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't even disguised. It was celebrated. And uh, you and I, we certainly live in a culture like that again. Sometimes we think, you know, that this is the worst it's going to get or th- that it's ever been. No, this is just really what uh, the world has often been. And then we've experienced a great run in America, where it was founded on biblical principles, and now we're seeing it kind of revert back to you know what has been on the global scene for 
for, for, for literally thousands of years. Even in Noah's day, the Bible says that even their thoughts of, of their heart were only evil continually. And so then God, of course, brought the flood, right? And then Noah and uh, those in, in his family got on the ark. But, so we've, but we've seen a world that is like this. Thessalonica would not have been too far from Corinth. And so this would have been the same uh, culture that Paul would have been writing into when he said, look at verse number 3 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Again, just reviewing here real quick. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And so our spiritual growth is, uh, you know, it's God's will for you and I to be sanctified, for you and I to grow. And he talks about how that you should abstain here from fornication. And uh, we talked about how it's not only just the physical act, it's the mental act, and we looked at scriptures like that. But the author of Hebrews tells us marriage is honorable and all, honorable and all, and the bed undefiled. Sex is not a bad word; it is a it's a beautiful word. It's uh, it's it, it's God designed, and so the world has hijacked it and obviously brought it into a place of you know deviance when it's outside the boundaries of a of a marriage, but it's honorable and all, and the bed is undefiled. But Hebrews 13.4 continues to say, but whoremongers, which another word for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So absolutely it's a difficult command to live by for you and I to um, fulfill the will of God, to abstain uh, from these types of things, but nonetheless it is a command that uh, is uh, is able to be fulfilled. And so Paul, he talks about how we've got to keep under our body. Uh, we've got to bring it under subjection. And then notice verse number 4 of 1 Thessalonians 4. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Again, word for passions. The lust of your passions even as the Gentiles which know not God. So if you remember, we're getting ready to kind of move into something new here, but if you remember at the end of last week, this is a very difficult command to live in a perverted, sexual-oriented world that is all around us for you and I to abstain from that, for you and I to live unto godliness and to live unto holiness. So it's very, very difficult but what we connect it to is that our identity in Christ. So he says, don't live like that, which Paul says at the end, which know not God. See, you and I, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We've, we, as believers, we know God. And so we can live in the fashion that God desires for us to live. And so, which knew not God. And that that echoes the challenge that Paul gave to the church of Corinth. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye, ha- which ye, have, which ye excuse me, have of God, and ye are not your own, for you're bought with a price. Since you're a believer, since you've been bought with a price, since you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, Paul says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So you and I, 
who know God, who are not like the Gentiles, who know not God, you and I have the ability to live purely in a world that is very, very impure. Now, all of us, we've spent enough time around a toddler to know that even in the simplest, most basic instructions is always when you give a toddler just the simplest instructions, it's always connected with a why. You know, you say to do this, and their response is often a a, a why. The attitude behind the question, some of you respond, I love it, because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? The, the, The attitude behind the questioning ranges from their inquisitiveness of why all the way down to rebellion. But the inclination to question authority, it's hardwired in all of us. It's not enough to be told not to touch the hot stove. We need to know why we should not touch it. By the way, I've not been billed yet for that thing that I burned down there. Remember, Sarah was sick last week, and so I told you the story when I was on my sabbatical. It was one of those stoves where, you know, the coils heat up and turn red hot, but then they turn off, even though it's still piping hot. And I put a plastic kind of thing over and just melted the fire out of it. And so we tell little children, hey, 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 don't touch this. It's going to be hot. But every toddler is like, hmm. I want to. I really, I really want to know why. Why am I being told that I can't touch this? I want to. I want to experience firsthand the consequences. And so, complete first-time obedience does not come natural. And the same is true with the Lord's commands to believers. We're not prone to obey immediately, even when God is clear about the consequences for our disobedience. And so in our text, Paul, he spells out the Lord's commands that we're to abstain from sexual immorality. And you and I, we are commanded as well as equipped, certainly as believers, to live pure lives. And he answers the inherent question of why, telling us that what's in store if we fall short of it. Let's read again in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. It's simple. It's not a, so much a gender as much as it is just defrauding somebody somebody else because that the lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified for god hath not called us unto uncleanness but unto holiness he therefore that despiseth despiseth not man but god who hath also given unto us his holy spirit and so paul He wants us to have a clear understanding of the stakes that are involved in sexual immorality. 
Again, we're not only talking about the physical act, it's also even the mental act, what we are seeing visually and, and, and pondering and things like that. It is not merely a question of individual impurity. Definitely that's the case. But there are the repercussions for others. And we learn that here in our text. Oftentimes when we think of the word defrauding that is used here, in our text, we often think of taking advantage of somebody, what, like financially, right? When someone has been defrauded, often we think we, we connect that to, uh, to money. You know, we, we, we've, we've stolen something or we've been um, unethical, you know, with finances. But the same kind of greedy, selfish thievery happens all the time in relationships. And so Paul's instruction is clear. Paul says, do not use others for your own gratification. That this is what was, again, what's our text? What's our context? So our context is, as Paul is talking, not only we think of defrauding, we think of financially. Paul is not connecting those. He's saying, hey, hey, when we, in this sexually perverted world that we live in, in the, con, in, in, in the culture in which we live in, he's saying here, do not use others for your own gratification. Now, obviously, that is essentially a problem for the younger generation. But it's not only for the younger generation. But young men and women, they need to be on the lookout. And I, I wish our teens were in here, but they're not for this morning. That's okay. But they need to be on the lookout for the kinds of predatory people who would take sexual advantage of them. But I love you. Hey, no, no, we, we've got to be... Tell me this isn't our world today. This is absolutely our world. It's, this, is, this, this is how I feel. This is, what, this is what my heart is telling me to do. And I'm telling you, good people, good people, come back and it's like, man, I just I didn't see it. I, I couldn't see it happen. And so we've got to be careful of that. And I think we also need to diligently examine our own hearts to be, she, to be sure that we're not taking advantage of someone else. Where we're not putting pressure on someone else to say or to do or to act in a way that they should not act. And then you go, obviously, to the digital world. And you have cheapened everything by viewing things that, in a sense, don't cost that person anything, although it absolutely did, but it just it, it, it harms who you are. It affects your sanctification. It affects your righteousness personally. Now, aren't you thankful that we stand in Jesus Christ's righteousness? Praise God for that. I'm not preaching to you out of the out of heaven absolutely not but you and i we ought to we ought to desire to live the way that god has certainly rebirthed us to live and you know paul uh, he talks about this for god not called us unto uncleanness but unto holiness and so you and i this is uh, th th this is something that we can do and so paul wants us to consider the consequences of sexual sin and to remember the lord is the one who distributes those consequences. Now, Paul does not spell out exactly how uh, God's vengeance will be 
brought out, but the results of sexual sin are destructive and they're far-reaching. It can devastate a marriage. It can destroy trust. It can destroy intimacy and ultimately lead to divorce. It can shatter families and all kinds of relationships. It can lead to a variety of maybe temporal troubles like financial instability or maybe even a job loss. We know that it can lead to disease and even death. And so there's no end to the to the judgments that can be heaped upon us when we are engaging in this sexual revolution of the world that is around us that is saying, hey, 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 you need to just modernize your thinking. You know, you old school biblicists, hey, you know what? Everyone's doing it. No, listen, we want to stand biblically to be able to understand this. And so sexual immorality contradicts the very purpose in which God has called us to. And so you and I, we're, we were not saved for impurity. We were saved for purity. And so you and I, we need to be growing closer to the Lord in sanctification. And situations with immorality only impede and stifle that growth. And so the sanctifying work is accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. And Paul wants us to remember His constant presence when it comes to abstaining from immorality. And that's what brings us to our series. I laid it on extremely heavy last week. I started again this morning very, very heavy because then that leads us to where we are headed for. I don't know how many weeks we will uh, be in this, but that is God's warning system. God gave you and God gave me an emergency warning system. How many of you are thankful for the lights on your dashboard, right? Now listen, when those lights go on, I know at that moment you're not thankful, but you know what I mean. Just generally, you're you're, kind of thankful for, you know, that dashboard on your car that tells you, hey, something is wrong, Um, you know, maybe some of us, we wouldn't even pay attention that we were running low on gas if we didn't have a light that started saying, hey, you're low on gas. Or, 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 or smoke detector, right, in, um, in, in your house. Or even the little bumps in the road that let you know when you're crossing over oh, the other lane when you've fallen asleep behind the wheel, right? You're thankful for that. I mean, if you have a new modern car, it'll tell you that you're drifting, right? Yeah, your, your steering wheel will literally start to shake. If there's any device or object that is able to warn me of danger or of impending catastrophe, I want it working for me. I want it working for me. And so in the Lord's perfect design, each of us, we have been given two built-in warning systems that, that are working to keep us from danger and harm. You know what the first one is? Pain. Pain. Now most of us think pain is a bad thing, right? But actually, hear what I'm about to say. Actually, oh, it's so hard for me to say. It's a gift from God. Pain's a gift from God. You know there's something physically wrong when when your body hurts. But more than just that, pain is God's way of protecting you from destroying yourself. 
And the best illustration of how pain protects us is in the Hansen's disease, or what you and I would probably know it more so as leprosy. And for, for so long, people believed, and I did as well until I tried to kind of study what it is, is that leprosy ate away a person's extremities. That leprosy would eat away fingers and noses and foreheads and ears and things like that. But, but that's actually not the case. It wasn't until uh, the 1800s that biologists discovered that leprosy does not consume the body at all. Instead, what leprosy does is it destroys your nerves. It destroys our, our senses of touch. And so without the ability to feel the pressure or pain, you literally begin to wear off your nose and your fingers and all of those different types of things. You scratch your head and what you do is you end up putting a big old gouge in your forehead because you can't feel the pain that that is ensuing. And so you and I, being totally oblivious to pain, we'd get a cut in our hand or in our finger or somewhere, and we wouldn't even know about it. And then infection were to get in, and that's when the disease, you know, things like that would begin to, would begin to eat away at you. So without the basic ability of pain, you're unable to, uh, you, you're able to do incredible damage to your body, and you're open to all kinds of physical dangers. And so pain, in a sense, protects you. But from a spiritual perspective, your other built-in warning system is your conscience. And your conscience does the same thing. Just as searing pain warns you of physical danger to your body, your conscience screams at you about a violation of the moral law, of a moral code that God gave each and every person from the moral lawgiver, of course, being God. But listen to me. Your conscience cannot save you. It's only a mechanism. It's only a, it's only a warning system. Just as pain can't save you from continuing to do something, it's only warning you, hey, 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 don't do that right now. I've been talking to a couple of the, the military men in, in our church, and they just say, like, you know, when, you, when you're in the military, you almost have, you have to train yourself. Hey, I'm not in pain. I'm just gonna keep, I'm just gonna keep going. I'm just gonna keep doing it. And so listen, your conscience is just like that. It it it, it can't save you. And unless it's been guarded, unless it's been trained it's not going to be able to alert you of any type of spiritual danger. So a malnourished, confused, and twisted conscience, which, by the way, can absolutely happen to you and to me, it's not able to protect you. In fact, it could actually, hear what I'm about to say, your conscience could actually lead you to sin and corruption. You talk to enough people, and enough people will say, hey, you know, this is okay. God told me to do this. Really? 
And so if it gets twisted, if it's not if it's not properly educated, then you and I, we have a problem. And so your conscience will not function properly unless it has been informed by reality and trained like a muscle. So it needs to be developed. It needs to be protected. It needs to be softened. It needs to be strengthened. All of the things that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. And so if you and I, if we're going to live purely. And I started where I started on purpose. I put the stakes up super high because the world in which we live in, man, so much is at stake. And so if you and I are going to live in a pure way, if you and I are going to live in a holy way, then listen, the way the Lord's commanded us absolutely to live that way, then you and I are going to make sure that our, that our conscience is, 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 is tuned in to God's perfect standard. And then as it's tuned in, as it's hearing what God wants you to hear biblically from His standard, then you and I, we need to listen carefully to it. And so we're going to start with how to get it tuned up. How to get your conscience to the place where you actually can trust it. Where you actually can follow it. And so we will uh, begin that journey. And I want to I kind of close this morning. Yeah, we've got plenty of time. And I want to Start with an illustration. In 1984, an Ivanka Airlines jet crashed in Spain. And investigators studied the accident. They made a very, very scary discovery. The black box, which you know, kind of interprets or tells you everything that kind of went on prior to the prior to the prior to the crane the plane crash. Excuse me. It it revealed that several minutes before impact, there was this computerized, synthesized voice from the plane's automatic warning system that said, what do you think? Pull up. Pull up. Pull up. And the pilot, evidently thinking that the system was malfunctioning, this is all recorded, kind of snapped at it and said, shut up, gringo, and switched off the system. Obviously, minutes later, the plane plowed into the side of a mountain and everyone on the plane died. And so the tragic story is a perfect comparison of the way that modern people treat the warning system or the warning messages of their conscience. So the wisdom of our age says, hey, guilty feelings, you know, those are nearly always erroneous. You just need to, you just need to push, out, push out those feelings of you know, any kind of remorse or any kind of guilt. Just, just, just switch it off so you can you know, be who you were intended to be. But see, that kind of thinking betrays a deep misunder- misunderstanding of what the conscience is and how it works. I just want you to hear me for the next few moments. Your conscience, it is not the voice of God. Your conscience is not the law of God. It is not an external force of any kind. As the Puritan Richard Sibbs in his commentary on 2 Corinthians wrote this, the conscience is the soul reflecting upon itself. So let me put it another way. 
As I was reading uh, Sibs, he's an old school 1800s writer. It is the human faculty that judges our actions and thoughts by light of the highest standard we perceive. Let me say that again. It's a, it's a, it's a human ability that judges our actions and thoughts. And what does it judge our actions and thoughts by? By the light of our highest standard we perceive. Right? So our conscience is going to judge us, our thoughts, our actions, the way that we live, based on what you and I perceive as to be the higher, highest standard standard so again where all of this is built all throughout the year in this series is that if all we are are just simply some medieval ooze that all of a sudden we became human beings and we came from animals and all this kind of thing and you are your own god then listen our conscience it's not going to be at the highest standard if we are gods then guess what our conscience is going to do our conscience is going to allow us to do whatever we want to do well i don't want ryan to be miserable he has fun when he does that momentarily and so you and i we've got to be careful like any warning system it needs to be programmed it needs to be taught it needs to be trained to discern right from wrong before it can be fully effective. And so that's why a Mormon's conscience binds him to the ceremonies and the rituals of a Mormon faith. It's why a Catholic's conscience binds him to the Pope, to the saints, and to the sacraments of the Catholic Church. Your standard for morality Whatever it is will shape, guide, and detect or direct your conscience. So that's why you can have Christians who I believe are Christians, hear me, sometimes you'll see them do something or act in a certain way. They'll, they'll fall into sin and and you and I can be like, how? It doesn't make them less of a Christian because you and I do the same thing. Maybe the consequences might not be as, as, as bad with some of those things, but you and I, what's the, what's the standard of your morality? And so since the standard of your morality is going to actually be the thing that that guides your conscience, it's absolutely crucial to establish the Lord's holy standard for purity. The Lord's standard for godliness in your own heart. Because anything less will lead you to have a weak and shallow conscience that regularly permits you to fall short of God's commands. We're hearing about to say, your conscience can actually lead you to sin. Because it's not been set 
to God's standard. And that's why it's so important for you in 2020, we're a couple of weeks away from 2020, okay? For you to get into the Word of God. For you to know how God wants you to live. Because here's why. And by the way, I'm so far from perfect, but just for the illustration, I'm not going to go with you every single moment of your day, nor will you go with me. And so you pray for me that, that my conscience is in tune with the Holy Spirit and His Word in my life. Because just as that black box, or just as that, you know, the airplane was saying, hey, pull up, pull up, pull up, now I'm going to shut it off. We can train our conscience to, to no longer warn us of the impending things. And so if you subscribe to the world's no-shame, man-centered standard, then listen, your conscience can actually encourage you to sin. It can become so perverted and so twisted that it makes you think that you ought to be lying and cheating and gossiping. It may even make you believe, as many people do today, man, there's something wrong with you. Man, you're not, you're not getting drunk. You're not, you're not looking at porn. You're not having sex outside of marriage and all those types of things. And so the fastest way to turn yourself over to corruption of the world is to adopt it's faulty postmodern standard of morality. And say, ah, it doesn't matter. Ryan, don't you realize what year we're living in? Don't you realize? I mean, hello? I mean, we, we, we've moved beyond this. No, to our detriment, we've moved beyond the Word of God. To our detriment, we've removed godly things from schools and all of the different things. And so you and I, we need to guard our conscience. We need to protect it from the pollution of the world. You and I, we need to feed it regularly on the rich truths of God's Word. You and I, we need to establish His perfect law as the standard of your life. And you and I, we do that through personal Bible study, constant intake of biblical teaching, preaching, and accountability. And so my prayer is that as we embark upon this i won't teach next week because rick will garland and then we only have an 11 o'clock so uh, and in the new year we're going to embark on this idea of our conscience but let me give you a few verses here turn to first corinthians 8 before we before we end here this morning Your conscience is like a never-ending fingertip, so to speak. It's like the nerves in your fingertips. It's sensitivity to external stimulus or stimuli, whatever, whatever the proper word would be for that. It can be damaged. You can build up, right? You can build up really, really... You know, your fingers can be really worn out. Honestly, the, sometimes the older someone gets, maybe they, they, they lose feeling sometimes in their fingertips. And so Paul wrote repeatedly about callousness with our conscience. Look at verse number 10 of 1 Corinthians 8. 
For if any man see thee which hath knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And again, I'm, next, next time we speak, we'll kind of get into more of the context here of, uh, of what Paul is talking about here. But he's, but, but he's alluding to someone that has a weak conscience or a conscience that kind of kind of can't kind of can't differentiate between between certain things and so Paul is cautioning hey 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 be careful certainly you and I we can we can eat anything anything now but what he's saying is hey you and I we've got to be we, we got to be careful because there might be an individual there where they have a conscience that doesn't that doesn't um, that, that's not working properly and then they would of course Go on and sin. Look at verse number 12. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. And then Paul also says in 1 Timothy 4, 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You say... Ryan, can that can that happen to me? Yes, it can. And I feel like sometimes it happens more so, not so much in a generalized way, where like your whole conscience is just seared. I think what happens more so is we kind of get seared in certain areas. Right? Like maybe maybe pet sins. Where we'll be <laughs> we let me include that we'll be really strong in some areas you know bless god you know like that type of way like don't you say that don't you do that and we're super strong on it and oftentimes we're like got a big old huge screaming billboard over here why because this is where we want all the attention and we've got like a seared conscience in another area and so i do believe that this can happen to us and so you and i we've, we've got to be careful that that you and I, we, we've got to have our conscience softened at times. And we're going to, I'm going to give you a little teaser there. That's where we're going to begin in, in the new year. Because, you know, you look at just the wickedness of our world, and this might shock you. I believe, I believe you being a Christian doesn't actually stop you from being able to do any of that. You can. If. Your conscience just gets to the point where, where you can't feel it anymore. It just becomes, becomes weak. It becomes to the point where you, just don't, you just, just don't know any better. And so my prayer is, is that you and I would allow this series, as difficult as maybe it has started, to soften us to the place where we are obeying every impulse of the Holy Spirit, where we're allowing our conscience to be really adhering to God's holy, righteous standard and so that we will live in a way that is to godliness and to sanctification and to righteousness and holiness, not unholiness, unrighteousness, and not growing in the Lord. And so that's my, that's my prayer for the new year here at 10 o'clock, and uh, I believe that God will uh, strengthen us through it. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and God, we, we pray that we would not have a heart of, ah, oh, well, somebody else needed that. 
Someone else is going to need this series. Those very thoughts are proof that I desperately need it. And uh, Lord, I pray that God, as we uh, begin to study uh, study the conscience and study the impacts that it has and biblically how we can how we can strengthen it and how we can soften it that uh, Lord we would um, really develop into what you have called us to be and that is to be a, uh, a, a righteous holy people that as we live in a wicked world around us that's really no wicked than the day in which the church first started or even prior to that. And yet, God, we can live as, as lights in a dark, dark world around us. Lord, I pray that, uh, God, that we would all be hungry to grow and hungry to learn. And uh, Lord, I pray you'd bless the remainder of this morning that as we will have gathered to worship and song uh, here in a few minutes that our uh, heart's desire is to truly lift you up and to see you through it all. And uh, God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, it's 1052. We'll take about an eight-minute break. You are dismissed.